Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It is so good to be here. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike. We hope that you uh, hear from God today. Listen, Christmas is on the way now. Thanksgiving is behind us. So you people are putting your lights up. I want to thank all you people who put lights up on your house, uh, because I don't, and that way I can look at that pretty Christmas stuff from my door without having to do the hard work. So thank you for that. Hunting season is upon us. I want you hunters to go ahead and harvest well, but stay away from Santa's reindeer. Uh, they're not for you. I was uh, on a, at the heart of Black Friday. I drove by the Walmart and saw the worshipers were there at the Cathedral of Consumerism. You know why they call Friday Black Friday, right? It's the day traditionally that retailers can guarantee to get uh, into the black if on an accounting Red is you're in the you're underwater, and black is you're making a profit. And um, so we have a nation that's going to be spending a lot of money and buying a lot of stuff, and probably they're forecasting a good year, so it'll be a big win. But you know what a big win for us for Christmas is? It's not lots of stuff, although, you know, I want retailers to do well. I want people to have jobs. For us is if we get richer in Christ, richer in the knowledge of him, of his word in us. We enjoy God more. That's my hope for you this Christmas. And if you're thinking of me, make it your prayer for me too. We're in Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 34. We have three parables today. So if you open your Bibles or smartphones or whatever you got to Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 34, we have a triplet of parables. One, two, three, and they all kind of flow logically together. And um, so we're, um, we're going to read them and then see what Jesus will teach us. Are you ready? Is your heart ready? You know, last week we saw that you got to get the field of your heart prepared so that when that seed falls in, it falls in on good soil. It means you're saying to God, I'm ready to hear you, God. Um, and then as we read the word together, we all get to hear from him together, even the preacher. Even the preacher. So... Here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to them, Is a lamb brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? You know, this is a question. It's rhetorical. The answer should be obvious, right? You're not going to bring a a lamp in for that to put under a a bushel or right, what's it say, a basket. You're going to put it on a stand. Now, their lamps had fire. Our lamps don't have fire. They have electricity. They're a bit safer now. They had a very simple machine that brings light. And he says, you're not going to cover that up. No. Why? Because verse 22, for nothing is hidden except that it be made manifest. I don't like the word manifest there only because we don't use that word that way. Most of the time we say manifest, we mean some sort of uh, piece of paper (laughs) that a shipping clerk would use. Um, um, So let me change that. For nothing is hidden except that it be made um, uh, obvious, unless it be made, unless it is displayed, revealed, right? Nor is anything secret except it come to light. And then he says his familiar phrase, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear, which means you're hearing me speak, but are you paying attention? Right, that's the first parable. You have a very simple machine, a lamp, most like oil. You can hold one in your hand. It holds oil, has a little wick, and you light it, and you can see in the dark. Um, uh, back in the day, before electricity, people didn't work at night. Matter of fact, you didn't do much of anything at night because it was dark. 
but you could sit around and hang out with the family and chat and enjoy life or do whatever you had to do with a lamp. And you're not going to take it out and cover it up because then you're still in the dark. Why does he tell us this? He, hints, he tells us right after. There's hidden things that need to be told. There are secrets that need to come to light. What secrets? Now we know from the breadth of the New Testament and from other texts that Jesus is saying he came to earth to tell, to open up secrets. Did you know that the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible at the time of Jesus was filled with prophecies of Jesus of what God was going to do? And there were many things hidden in the Bible. Paul would call these mysteries. He'd say, I tell you a mystery. And then he would say something that was in the Old Testament that nobody knew was there. Right? Like in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes the very uh, second chapter of the Bible in Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says, I tell you a mystery. That refers to Christ in the church. In other words, God had always intended marriage to reflect Christ in the church, but it was a secret until Jesus came. So when Jesus comes, the Bible opens up, heaven opens up. If you look at knowledge, excuse me a minute, I had an irritant on my tooth. I hate to distract you like that, but you, I had some turkey earlier and it was, so if you look at knowledge as light and mankind being sinful in the darkness, when the Bible at the beginning, you know, in the beginning God said, let there be light. The knowledge comes to us in the Bible, but it's like a, a crack in the, in the door, just a little light. And as the prophets speak, you get a little more light, right, as you go through the history of the Jews. But then when Jesus comes, he throws open the doors, he tears down the wall between heaven and earth, and boom, the light shines. This is the picture, the theme of the Bible. Jesus in, in Matthew, if you're a note taker, this is not going to be on a slide, Matthew ten twenty seven. Jesus says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And then he says, there is nothing secret that should not come to light. The secrets he's talking about are the secrets of the kingdom of God. Secrets that mankind cannot find on our own. No discoverer, no, no um, uh, what do you call those people who discover things? Not discoverers. Explorers, Explorers thank you. <laughs> no scientists. Nobody's going to find these things on their own. God must reveal them. And Jesus came to reveal. And he said, look, if I revealed a secret to you, don't hide it. You don't take a lamp so that people could stay in the dark. You put it out there. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he wants you and I and anyone who believes in him to make known to everyone in the world the good things that he teaches us, especially what we normally refer to as the gospel, the good news that God loves us, that Jesus came to die for sinners, to rescue us, that we can be forgiven of sins if we will repent and believe in Jesus and we can have eternal life when he comes again. We will have new bodies. That's, that's what this parable is saying. <laughs> He's saying, take the message of the gospel and preach it and write it and tell it and text it and say it on video and say it online and say it on podcasting and say it on the radio and say it in writing and say it in person and say it in sign language and say it in French. 
The French need to be saved. Someone's going to do something about the French. Let all the world know the good news. So at Harvest Community Church, we work hard to get the word out. He said, doesn't every church do that? Every church can get sleepy. Every church can forget why it exists on earth. (laughs) And so, um, no, they don't. Every event, every chance. Every event, every chance. Every funeral. If If Harvest pastor is doing the funeral, you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and people will have an opportunity to be saved. Every wedding, every women's event, every men's event, every children's event, every chance we get. And we tell our parents, teach your children that the place it should be the brightest is the house. Your kids shouldn't live in darkness until they get to church and then somebody shows them some light, right? They should get it at home. And they don't need some seminary-educated professor to give it to them at home. They just need you telling them what you know. And children, tell your friends. Children are awesome because they, they, take, they believe the things we tell them. <laughs> I remember when Mandy was, was just like five I was driving through the drive-thru at McDonald's and she was talking to me about the gospel and I said, yeah, we got to tell everyone the gospel. And she goes, well, are you going to tell the lady at the window? <laughs> I'm like, wasn't planning on it. <laughs> She's going to give her some money. She's going to give me some food. She, so she, when she was in the second grade, made a list of everyone in her class and she said, I'm going to tell them all and I'm going to start giving them Bibles. Second graders get it. Some of the time you get to fourth, fifth grade, you forget it. We want our members to tell this story to everyone. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell the people at school, tell the people at work. We want you to tell them over coffee. We want you to tell them online. We want you to definitely tell them on Facebook, right? Tell them on Instagram. They already know from Facebook and Instagram that you're happier than them and you have a better life than them and your vacations are better than them and now they know your Thanksgiving was more warm than theirs. Might as well tell them about Jesus too. Tell them on the Christmas card. If you're going to send a card, write a note, photocopy it and tell them Jesus died for their sins. They'll think I'm weird. Newsflash, everybody's weird. George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers made this known many years ago when they said, everybody's funny. Now you're funny too. Drag people into church and we'll tell them again. Why? Because Jesus said, shine the light. That's the whole, to get the point of this parable, you got a lamp, put it on there. (laughs) Shine. And then he says, look, if there's a secret, it needs to be He's not talking about your embarrassing secrets. Those things let God handle on the judgment day. Don't go around telling all your dirty laundry. Trust me, we don't want to know, <laughs> right? Um, you, back to where I was. I just distracted myself. I do that. At t- you say, well, I get distracted at your sermons, pastor. I'm like, fine, I do too, <laughs> But do you realize we're, what forms us together as a church, what holds us together, what brought us together is, is, is words. It's a message. The message of the gospel took us from darkness to light, 
from lost to found. And then we come together with the one thing we have in common is a message. That's what the church is built on, good news. We're not unified generationally. In other words, we're not all the same age. We're not here together because we all have the same taste in music. We don't all have the same taste in food. We don't all have the same hobbies. We don't all have the same financial standing. We're not here because we're all from the same family background or nation or skin color. We're not here because we all have the same level of education. We don't all like the same sports teams. I got to tell you guys something. There are Browns fans in the church. Sorry. We're not united by our politics. We're not united because we all sin the same way in the past. If you have been changed by the gospel and you believe that Jesus is Lord, you are my brother, you are my sister. If you believe the same message as me, then you've been born again and I've been born again and we've all been born into the same family. That's what unites us. So the most powerful message on earth is the message of Jesus, and it's also the most important. Nothing you'll see on Fox News, nothing you'll see on CNN, nothing you'll read in the paper, nothing you'll hear in the world headlines, nothing you'll hear from a professor, nothing you'll hear from a boss, nothing you'll read in a great book by a Russian novelist is as important as the message that every one of our children carries around with them. And all Jesus says is, shine that light. Shine that light. Because this message doesn't come from a man. It comes from heaven. Well, Jesus became a man. But he came from heaven. This is a message that brings peace in a world of fear. This is a message for every lonely soul. And every soul is lonely sometime. There is a God There is love. There is hope. You have not screwed it up so bad that he can't fix it. God wants us to tell the whole world. That's that first parable. The next, before he gets to the second parable, which I'm about to jump to, he gives us a little principle that we, if you were here last week, you don't have to be here every week to get the message, so welcome first-time visitors. But if you were, you'll remember we hit this last week too. It's a repetitive theme in the New Testament. Verse 24, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Jesus is always saying that. I know you see my, this, this is like, if you're a parent and you've had a teenager, you know what Jesus, you know, I know you see my lips moving. I know you have some sort of verbal vibrations going into your auditory canal. I know you know words are happening, but I don't think you're listening at all. Any parents ever felt that way? <laughs> By the way, as an encouragement parents, there may, as, as an old parent, with all my kids grown up, I can tell you there's times when you think they're not listening to a word you're saying, but they listen better than you think. Give them some credit. And they're always watching what you're doing. So do both. But... Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear as he's teaching. Don't you think if you went back in time and you could hear Jesus and you knew the language, because you probably don't know the language, but by magic you knew the language, if people were like not listening, you'd you'd say, listen, it's Jesus. They're like, we don't know him, a guy from Nazareth. Shut up, it's Jesus. 
Don't you think you pay attention? But you don't. Pay attention to what you hear. Why? Watch what he says. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and still more will be added. It's the same message we had last week about the seeds falling in the ground. Right? The ones who use what they have get more. You want more God? Use what you got. (laughs) Think about what you already know. Are you doing what you already know? No? Then why do you want more from God? Just this week, I had a session... uh, could call it pastoral counseling, but I wouldn't. It was pastoral instruction. Just this week. Too late for last week's service, but it, I'll put it in here anyway. We literally had this conversation again. You want help in this area, but you're ignoring God in this area. Why do you think, start here, where you know? And that's what he says. This is a promise from God. And the positive side, I'm making it like it's negative. There's a positive side to this. It means, wait a minute. So if I put effort right now to thinking about what the Bible says, to putting it into my heart, to saying, okay, what does this mean and how can I apply it? Then tomorrow I get more of God? Yeah. So it's actually a positive path. It says, for the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You might wonder why. And now I'm going to refer you to last week, because we do preach these online. And I went into greater explanation of why it's taken away last week. So go there or send me an email. Um, Although we do have this in our map. So let's write this down. If you use what you hear from God and embrace it and put it deep in your heart, and let it grow there, it will change your mind and your outlook. Your attitude will change. He will give you more. But if you hear the words of God, and you take them lightly. Whatever wisdom, joy, and peace that he has for you, he will remove. So listen up. Okay, next up, Jesus gives us an agricultural parable, another one. He gives a lot of those. Why? Because the people in that society understood agriculture. They knew what it meant, where food came from. They didn't think it was just that plastic stuff at the market. They know where it comes from. And so they already understand these. And so look what he says in verse 26. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Then when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the people are going to think that through and they're going to be like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> in, in a, in a, I garden some years. <laughs> sometimes for years in a row and sometimes I take a few years off. Um, Uh, It really depends on whether I get my ground tilled at the beginning of the season. If you don't do that step, forget it. But if you do, most of the things I don't plant from seed. I don't know how many of you plant from seed because you got to start them indoors. I let those other people do it. But there are some things that I do plant from seed. Lettuce, watermelons, pumpkins, and sunflowers. (laughs) Why am I telling you this? Because I'm trying to get into this parable, that's why. And that's what I was thinking about. Then I realized, you know who plants from seeds right behind me? I got a corn, a guy who, who has dairy cow, and he's, he, he plants corn every year. So what's he got to do? Well, he, gets to, he starts getting the 
ground ready in the fall when everything's done. And he harvests the old field corn and does whatever he does. And then I'm sure he looks it up in the almanac. He's got to find out when is the last frost in May. And then after that, he plants his corn. Um, And then you know what he does after he gets it all ready and it's all tilled and the corn's in there? He doesn't do anything. You know, he doesn't do anything to those corn. He's He's not big enough to have one of those things that kind of marches through the field spraying water. He depends on the rain falling from the sky, and it's Pennsylvania, so it does pretty good by itself. You know what he does? He goes to bed. Heck, he's got to get up early. He's got cows. If you're milking cows, you've got to get up early every day. And you know what he does with that cornfield the next day? Nothing. He just keeps going to bed, getting up, and one day, doesn't take too long, something green starts coming up through the earth. And then by the 4th of July, that corn is knee-high, as you guys know. So he's doing fine. And when the summer comes to an end, it's ready and dried out, and he's ready to take it down again. You see, the wise farmer knows that he doesn't really grow anything, does he? He cooperates with the earth. He cooperates with God. And the magic God put in dead corn, that it can come to life with a little water, a little dirt, and a little sun. (laughs) Right? At Harvest Community Church, our vision statement, our North Star, is we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Can I tell you a secret? (laughs) We can't. Our vision statement, we can't do it. We can't grow God's church. And we can't increase the health of one person. He said, well, that's your vision statement. I know, we're in a tight spot. (laughs) The whole purpose of why I live. (laughs) You guys would say, well, we're going to have a meeting, see if we can fire Pastor Mike. He's already going to fail. Unless something supernatural happens. You see, only God can get a, we could draw a crowd. All we got to do is say, free beer. And we could have more people at church than there's ever been. But that doesn't mean a one of them will be born again. And, and, and we, to grow in Christ, to overcome life's hurts, to learn his word, to learn to walk, to, to learn to undo years of bad thinking, right? Because we have to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That process, I can't make it happen. We're just farmers, We're just farmers. We put in the seed, God makes it grow. So another very long note-taking in your map. The kingdom of God is filled with farmers. Guess what? It's you too, all of us. We prepare the soil of our own hearts by listening to God, by obeying his word, by praying, by telling the news, by sending others to tell the news, by, and note these next three, Trying to love one another, walk with God, and seek the lost. Tis our vision statement here. But we don't make the sun, S-O-N, shine in people's hearts. And we don't make the kingdom grow. God does that. When we have our harvest kids, which we do take very seriously, we, 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 we paint the walls. We have a curriculum with video and resources. We, we get people who love kids and love Jesus. 
and we tell them all we're supposed to tell them. And the younger they are, the higher ratio of goldfish we have to give them to keep them happy in the room, too. It's, it's a law. There's, a, there's an actual chart, you know, two years old, this much goldfish, and it goes down as they get older. We can bring them all the love and all the gospel we want. We cannot get one of them born again. God does that. We're actually claiming something supernatural has to happen. To make a church healthy and growing requires working with God who brings the supernatural growth and health. Our worship teams who lead us in singing, they can't help you get closer to God. All they can do is set the table. They till the soil and they throw out the seeds. That's the way it is in the church. Now don't get me wrong. The farmer must work or the field won't grow. The lazy farmer who doesn't take down last year's stalks won't have any seed. And if he says, well, I'll just let whatever falls to the ground fall to the ground and grow, he'll get a handful of ears of corn among a lot of weeds and nothing. And the lazy farmer gets nothing. You, you still got to work. And so it is with the church. God set up a system where his church will grow in health and size if the people will do what he says. You know, it's a metaphor. Plowing the field and getting rid of the weeds and killing the bugs. Killing the bugs is, that's the fun part. You know, you preach against heresy, you know. <laughs> killing the critters. And, and then you take the word of God and you plant it, but God does the miracle in your life and my life. When I preach a sermon, I'm always depending on a supernatural work that I cannot do. And you know what? It happens. It happens. It happens. And I'm sometimes shocked to hear a story of someone, well, when any time someone comes and goes, I know you were just preaching just to me, Pastor. I wasn't. I'm not that smart. I'm not that sensitive. And I hate to say it, but I wasn't even thinking. I haven't thought about you in weeks. (laughs) I hope everything's fine. I'm just trying to make the word clear. So who made it so personal to you? Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Okay, here's the third parable. So the first one really is tell the message everywhere. The second one you'll see uh, is God will give you the growth if you do the work. The third goes with it. Now watch this. This is my favorite one. This is one of my favorite parables And I don't know if it'll be your favorite when I'm done. It's not the most thrilling, but it's one of my favorites for a certain reason. Verse 30, he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and it puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make their nests, make nests in its shade. What is that all about? The kingdom of God starts small, <laughs> really small, right? It starts with one man, Jesus Christ. Uh, and you might say, well, didn't it start way back with Abraham and before that with uh, Noah 
No. They, chronologically in time, they were born before Jesus, but Jesus always existed. He was always the beginning point. He was always everything. And if there is no Jesus, there is no kingdom of God on earth. No matter how faithful Noah was, he was going to hell. Someone had to die for his sins. So it starts with one man. He is the perfect man. Mankind is, the Bible says, fallen and we're all lousy sinners. It's funny how you have to argue that. We have to argue that. Because people think they're good. But the easiest thing to prove in all the world is that we're sinners. (laughs) I mean, how... Remember, for some of you younger folks, there used to be these things called newspapers. um, And they were delivered to your house every day. And if you take one of those newspapers, I can prove that man is a sinner. Any newspaper, any town, any day. Now, all I need is a website. Or if you don't believe people are sinners, look on Twitter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's war. I saw on Twitter this... uh, this video is going viral, and it made me very sad. But you might have seen it. Is it Thanksgiving dinner in someone's house? Some guy stands up and says, you're not a member of this family. Any of you see that one? None of you? Okay, you're good. But the other guy gets up, and the whole family's there, and he's hurt. His feelings are hurt. And then he says, I can't believe you said that. I said it. And then he throws something at him. So the guy who throws it gets mad, and he picks up the turkey, and he throws it at another guy in the family throws the turkey. Well, then the next thing, the guy's yelling at him, and then he throws over the table, and he's screaming, wah! And then the other's screaming. Then they're all cussing at each other, and he marches out. Now, that makes Thanksgiving interesting. <laughs> How far do you got to look to see that man has fallen? I could show it to you anywhere you want to look. Man has fallen. We are sinners. I actually felt for the guy who threw the table over. I thought, I've felt that way before, rejected and angry and threw a fit. And I was just as bad. Glad no one had those phones back then. But then Jesus, he's the son of God and he's, he's, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He has no sin. He lives a perfect life and he makes himself eligible to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. In other words, the soul that sins must die. We all must die for our sins, which means you're going to hell and going to be punished for your sins, so am I. When our secrets are exposed, they're going to see that we're not holy. But now there's one man on the earth who could do something about it. (laughs) He can say, God, (laughs) I'm holy. Put their punishment on me. But would he? And why would he? Would you die for rats? I wouldn't. Not rats. I hate rats. I, I don't really want to kill a bunch of animals. I let other people kill them. I like eating dead animals. I don't want to kill them. But I'll kill rats. If you ate rats, I'm your man. I will kill every... I hate rats. Who would die for a sinner? Who would give up their life for Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus 
took on the anger of God and satisfied his anger at you and me and said, now you can be born again when he rose from the dead. That's a very small start for a king. If you're going to take over the world, you get a few followers and the first thing you do is die. This does not seem like a good plan if you want to be the king of the world. At least you had a few hundred who were on your side, Jesus. And what did you do? You went and got yourself offed. This is a small start for a kingdom. One dead man. (laughs) How are you going to take over the world that way? He's going to (laughs) rise. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying, I showed you what I'm going to do every stinking spring. You take dead seeds and you plant them and they grow. If the world had no more corn and there was one kernel left and you had that kernel, guess what? If you treated it right, you could populate the earth again with corn. Because you could grow a whole ear from that one. You can plant that ear and grow a whole field. You can plant that field and grow a thousand fields. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only one without sin, is alone unless he dies. But if he dies, he bears much fruit. He rose from the dead, and the Bible said he led to freedom a multitude of prisoners. (laughs) What does that mean, folks? It means that because he died and rose, now all of us can be without sin and be born again. And that's, that's that's what he did. Take a little mustard seed, put it in the ground. Our final, I think it's our final map point here. Any who follows Jesus shares in his death and is freed from sin. Anyone who follows Jesus shares in his resurrection and is born again. That rhymes completely by accident. I didn't even catch that. There's a rhythm there. (laughs) To new life. Anyone who follows Jesus will share in his glory when he returns at the end of the age. That, the Asian mustard seed that is in the ancient Near East he's talking about is very small. And if you're planting an herb garden, it may be small. Anyone who's planted a garden or trees knows that you'll learn the hard way not to plant them too close together, right? Some of you have done that, right? You thought, well, these trees aren't very big. That ought to be far enough. Next thing you know, they're growing into each other. Well, if you're going to plant one of them mustard seeds next to your oregano and your garlic and your herbs, (laughs) you better give it a lot of space because it's going to build a tree. It's the only one you got. The rest will grow up like the coriander. The cilantro turns to coriander and it kind of goes to seed and it withers away. That mustard tree is going to grow branches. And it's going to look like a tree in the herb garden. So it is with the kingdom of God. It started small but it has spread to the end of the earth. This one man, Jesus, has been worshipped in every continent of the earth. 
throughout history and will continue to be. The movement he began by dying is unstoppable. Harvest Community Church began small, right? He had a few families in the gospel. We've grown to six worship services on Sunday and Friday, four locations, also the jail. We bring our worship service to the jail. Can't think of a better place. We would do more there, but they won't let us. A church has grown out into Lower Borough that stands on its own. In India, we have home churches growing among former Muslims. Former Muslims have churches in their homes from harvest. I could go on and on. Community groups, life. How much life started from a very small start a mustard seed by itself it isn't much good. You got a hot dog, you got one mustard seed, it ain't going to help. <laughs> but if it dies and you put it in the ground, it becomes such a plant that the birds say, hey, there's a new apartment complex. I can build my nest. I can make my babies. I can raise my family here. Harvest one of this, the reason this is one of my favorite parables is because of my age. <laughs> I'm certain. And now I can see that following God's plan, I couldn't see what he was doing all the time. And now I have a family. Family becomes that. Once in just me and my girlfriend to a safe place, a place for people to live and grow and thrive and harvest. We've gotten... God's word is planted here and harvest has become a church where many people have been born again. And if the people who planted it didn't plant it, it wouldn't be. And if they didn't use the gospel, it wouldn't be. But it is. And now what is it? It's a place where people are still being born again. Where people learn to love God and learn to love one another. Where people with life-dominating emotional problems come and find that they can get help from the Word of God and from a community of love where children are born and grow knowing Jesus. Where people mature and grow up and some of them are moved away by their jobs or other things and I feel good to know that they're gonna, I can't tell you how many times I'll hear someone say, man, we moved Pastor Mike and I can't find a church good enough. Do you know why that always makes me happy? Not for pride reasons. What they really mean is this, I'm having trouble finding a church where the word of God is the most important thing. That's really what they're saying if you talk to them. I just feel the sermons are kind of fluffy and they're just self-help. They're saying, we need people. And then then they search till they find that church. And then they're happy. (laughs) And then what do they do? They plug in because they grew up in this mustard tree. And they know what it's supposed to look like. And then they're blessing them. People mature in Christ This is why nothing matters more to me than the health of this church. Because this is the farmer's field I'm working in. It's the farmer's field you are working in. Some of you are really good farmers. 
Some of you are just learning. Oh, I have a job. I'm a farmer. Yeah. And some of you are lazy farmers. And your portion of the field isn't doing anything. But there's time. (laughs) People's souls depend on this. Lives depend on it. Children depend on it. Families depend on it. I invite you to invest your life in your local church. Right here. The world, (laughs) America is discovering what happens when you start to cut the roots of the philosophy that we have a God. And we can sit and make fun of how stupid they are and how upside down their morals are, but we'd be fools because we'd forget that God rescued us. The better thing to realize is that, wait a minute, if people are being raised in a world where wrong is right, right is wrong, there is no up, there is no down, I don't know what a boy is, I don't know what a girl is, those people are going to get messed up because they're not operating according to the way God made them. And they're going to need a place to run. A healthy church is a place to run. A healthy family married to a healthy church, a healthy person married to a healthy church is the doorway to sanity. When I was in high school, I wasn't saved. In my last year, I started a new school because we moved a lot. My last year in high school, I was in a school, Great Valley High in Malvern, Pennsylvania. The only year I went to school in Pennsylvania my whole life, last year, not counting college. And, and then if I got saved a couple years later, and then a couple years after that, I'm in college, and I meet a girl at a concert, and I recognize her from my high school. And I said, hey, I'm a Christian now, too. Well, you know what she said to me? Oh, I didn't just become a Christian. I was a Christian in high school. I said, you were? I didn't know. She said, yeah, we had a club. You had a club? Yeah, we met all the time. It was awesome. And you know what I said to her? Why didn't you invite me? Because I was a mess. And I, I could have used it. Now, I don't condemn her. <laughs> she was a product of the family and the church that raised her. They had a Christian, they had a shelter right in front of me and they didn't invite me. I didn't even know it existed. That just drives me to say, look, people in our towns, in Catanning, in Indiana, in Freeport, Petroleum Valley, wherever you work, they need God. We're working hard to make a healthy church. We're doing our part and letting God do his. I'm inviting you to invest your mind, life, money, emotions, love, children in your church. For those of you on the film, you didn't hear a baby just made a noise. Can I tell you something about that baby? I know that that baby has heard me preach more in her life than anyone else. Now, she doesn't have any idea what I'm saying. And I don't expect her to for a while. But if God gives me health and and I can stay here, and if her family can stay here, one day she's going to be a little girl. 
She's going to be running to my office to get candy because I bribe children with candy year round. And maybe she'll be shy and she'll get over being scared of me. And she'll hear me preaching as she gets older. And then she'll go to our kids' ministry and they'll teach her the same message and they'll teach her how to worship like her parents do, got a little stage. <laughs> and her parents will be home telling her, God loves you. And if I'm here, eventually she'll be 18 years old. And hopefully when she leaves here to go off to whatever God has for her, she says, man, I left a great thing. I left a great church. It gave me life. That's what we're building, folks. And not just for those. What about the people whose parents kicked them to the curb and messed them up? They need this. But one pastor, two pastors, nine pastors is not enough farmers for a field this big. And I'm not happy to stay where we are. So I'm inviting you. What did Jesus say in these three parables? Tell, 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 tell what you know. Put your light. You don't have to be perfect. Don't feel guilty if you don't share the gospel every time you feel you should. Just keep at it. Tell them if you can't get anything out of your mouth except for, uh, 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 I go to a church and God's there, I want to go. Fine. Tell them what you know. Patiently wait for the growth. You don't have to make it work. You just tell them. Farmer goes to bed. He gets up. I'm not going to do this. You're not going to make it grow. Just tell them. And then invest in this solid shelter. This life-giving thing that God calls the local church. And if your job moves you away or your life adventure moves you away, you find another local church that loves the word of God and make it go there for the sake of yourself, for the sake of any family members, for the sake of friends, and for the sake of a lost world, and for the glory of Christ. All right? We exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. But really, we're just a bunch of farmers. And we're harvest. We're harvesters. And when we go to other countries, we are, you guessed it, international harvesters. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.